hello, hello. Welcome back to The 100 Report. I'm Chris. I'm Charlie. And today we are joined by a very, very special guest. I'm delighted to welcome the owner of the Multan Sultans. We've got Ali Khan Tareen. So thank you so much for joining us today, Ali. And all the way from Pakistan, we're so excited to have you on the show. It's a pleasure, guys. Always fun to talk about cricket. Absolutely. Um, so obviously, given what's been going on in the world, uh, we've just got to the end of the PSL season, which I think is now going to be a statistical anomaly for the rest of time as the longest PSL season that's ever, ever happened. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to get a, a quick thought on uh, how you felt the season went, um, and especially with such a long hiatus between the group stages and the, uh, and the final knockout stages. So uh, this was the first PSL that we put together a team for uh, a season. So it was a great success for us because we were top of the table uh, very early on. Um, we were the first pe- people to qualify for the knockouts and we were fairly dominant throughout. When the, obviously we were hit by COVID and we had to pause, there were talks about, you know, canceling the tournament and just awarding Multan Sultans uh, as in my team, the trophy. I was super against it. I had to take to social media to, to tell people that if this happened, it will be a travesty. Because if right now, when we were number one, everyone knew we were the best team, but we had just qualified for the knockouts, four teams now. If we were given the trophy, that would be unfair and everyone would think it's unfair and people would think we are undeserved champions. So I didn't want to mar our first season doing so well by being handed over a trophy. So I was adamant that we have to continue the trophy, the tournament no matter what, even if we do a few games before the next PSL. Uh, the, the games happened, obviously, uh, many months later. We lost both games and we got knocked out. But I'm happy with that decision uh, because, you know, we, I don't want ever to win a trophy, um, you know, that I don't deserve. So it was a long break. We lost momentum, uh, affected us badly. But, you know, it was, it was, it, they're both great games and I'm very happy for uh, the champions. I love that. It's all about the sport. But just starting from a couple of years ago, obviously, it's everyone's dream to own a cricket club. How did that come about? And what made you decide to, to buy into the Molten Sultans? Uh, so obviously, it was, a, it was a dream for me as well. I, and I never expected this to happen. So what happened is that there were five teams initially in the PSL. Uh, I was actually a Lahore fan. And then they added one more team. And that was the Multan team. Multan is basically my hometown and where all my, our businesses, all the things we do, all our farms are. So these people came and bought that team. Good, good guys, uh, well-intentioned. Uh, they had the team for a couple of seasons. Then they, um, they gave the team back. So they, they, they didn't want to continue with it. And then suddenly the team went up for sale. At the same time, I had already been doing a cricket project in South Punjab, where Multan is the capital. And uh, I was getting ready to create a domestic team because that was my real dream because that's you know, where proper development happens. So I was, I'm, I'm almost set, you know, I have a coach ready, I have my players all uh, basically lined up to add to um, uh, form my team. And then suddenly we get news that the Multan team's up for sale. So that's when I went around to start speaking to people, put together a small consortium of people from the area. And then we went in and bought the team. But that's it happened out story. of nowhere, out of nowhere. And I was, I'm still in disbelief. That and I, we're going to come I, on to your cricket academy later in the podcast. I know that that's a great... Um, uh, academy for the community for your local community but um yeah when you when you became the owner the new owner of the Multan Sultans what was the first thing that you wanted to restructure to organize was it uh, the coaches was it star players what was sort of your your plan as the new owners 
so uh, just just to, clarify, just, for, just to clarify, there were three of us in the first season that we owned collectively. I was just um, uh, more actively involved um, in, in the media, but there were three of us. And all three of us had a, had a firm belief that we don't want to run the team as, you know, big hotshots. We want to run the team through data. So we said, you know, I don't want to have a say in the coach. I don't, I don't want to have a say. I don't want you to have a say, you to have a say. We should get very, very good coaches, very, very good analysts, empower them to make the key decisions. Our role is just setting up what I refer to as the dream team. So as a management dream team, we set that up, tell them this is our vision, what we want from them, what we expect from them, give them a long-term plan and tell them to implement that plan. So we, I had no intention of, I want to pick my favorite player or that favorite player. I'm sure we all you know, secretly wanted to, but we all agreed that we were not going to do it this year. So we went about find, uh, creating a different, kind of, a different kind of management, which was purely run on data and merit and without bias. So that was my number one thing, is to remove bias from the team. It, it's so hard because I know that we talk about this a lot and especially when we were talking earlier uh, about the hundred uh, before that uh, be before what happened with the hundred happens it is so hard to remove your own personal biases uh, especially based on if you have a particular player that you absolutely fawn over but for whatever reason it's not going to work within the balance of the team and um, yeah. Yeah, yeah for it, me that was Tom Benton uh, just oh, wow. Fantastic I really want Tom Benton so one thing we, so because uh, we, we do a lot of businesses as well, our main belief is to build systems. If, if there's a good system, you know, no matter how biased the person coming in is, the system won't let that bias come in. So what we did was the first person we wanted to hire was our chief analyst. And that guy was this amazing, amazing uh, genius we found in England uh, called Nathan Lehman. So he was the guy who literally created the entire data analytical department for the ECB. So Andy Flower, the coach, when he came in, he had read Moneyball. He then hired Nathan Lehman to do that for cricket for the ECB. So the first person we found, uh, to, uh, and, I, and, I had no, and I had met him um, about a year before we hired him, um, it was Nathan. We then asked him, you tell us what kind of coach we should hire. Because you are the you're the first component. You're the guy we're building everything around. So it's not that the coach decides everything, but Nathan had to decide who the coach was. He recommended without any hesitation, Andy Flower, that I have never met a coach who is more interested in data and innovate in innovation in cricket than Andy Flower. Obviously, we are all grown up idolizing Andy. So when I met him, then uh, my, my other owner and I, we met him, and we had to we had to, we convinced him that this is a long term project where you will have full authority. We will not interfere. And uh, it, was, it was funny, he, when he came in, um, he was suspicious because he hadn't managed any T20 team up till now. So he had this big A4 uh, book and he opened it and you can just see like writing you know, on both pages. And he said, you know, I have a few questions before you know, I make a decision. And uh, so then he started asking questions and I could see there were like at least 20 questions. And he goes, you know, do we have to keep you know, player X? And we said, no, if you want him, you can keep him we will never tell you to keep a player. He said, okay, do we have to keep player Y? And we said, Andy, if you want him, you can keep him. You don't want him, doesn't need to be there. We want you to build the team and we just want to see you do it. And he closed the book, slipped it, put it aside. He goes, 
okay, I'm in. <laughs> so uh, that, 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 was, that was a great moment. And uh, we, one, one, another thing to his credit, he asked was that he doesn't, he said, I don't want to come in if I'm just going to coach and, you know, we're, we're just going to come in, have a tournament and leave. There has to be some long-term thing I'm working on. So when I mentioned my academy and the work we're doing to develop players and the way, way we want to use data to develop players, I think that really piqued his interest. So the combination of us giving him a com the complete freedom and the long-term role, the long-term vision we had, I think were the things that um, really, really interested him in the project. And then what we did was we said, we said, we don't want to have, for example, a bowling coach. What's a bowling coach, right? You have spinners, you have fast bowlers. How can the spinning, I'm sure, you know, there's some information that the spinner can give the fast bowler and vice versa. But if you really want to maximize chances for success, which is all you can do in, in, a, in, a, in a sport or in a business, actually, you can't force um, success. All you can do is maximize chances for success. So we decided, okay, we're going to, we're going to get a specialist fast bowling coach and a specialist spin bowling coach. Andy obviously will be the uh, de facto batting coach. Then we have Nathan for the data strategy, but then we wanted to have a local analyst so who can translate stuff for the local players. So then we hired the national, the Pakistan national team's own analyst. So he became our second analyst, our local guy. But then we were like, okay, if Nathan's doing the basic strategy, overall strategy in the, and the algorithms for the thing, and this guy's the local guy is doing it live data entry for the players. We need one guy who is just thinking about the game and how we can you know, maximize our chances over there. So then we hired a third analyst, <laughs> uh, Pat Noon from England, who works for CrickViz. So then we had three analysts. And because we had three analysts who were all very different, unrelated, that is how, uh, Christopher, we were able to remove bias from the team. For example, I would say, hey guys, you know who's a great keeper? Tom Banton. And then they would say, they would say yes, he is a good keeper. But you know, then Nathan would say something, Pat would say something, our local guy, Tala would say something. So when, unless all three analysts agreed on a player, we couldn't pick him. Wow. So wow. even though I had extreme bias toward Mr. Benton, uh, I, I, I was, we weren't able to pick him as a, in the first, in the first go, because we had other priorities and how we had to use the picks was a little different. So that is how we got rid of bias. Ah, okay. It's, uh, yeah, I guess it's hard, you know, in those levels, you have to maintain a professional composure and just keep it deep down to yourself and maybe, maybe in a quiet. I, I didn't keep it deep down. I put it out there. But, uh, <laughs> well, as you do now. <laughs> um, but that actually does uh, bring me on. Oh, sorry, and uh, one, more, one more thing I'd, I'd mentioned, which is something I didn't know of before, is that the way players are currently picked in um, these franchise leagues is, is very different than I thought. So the role of agents and, uh, you know, player managers and, you know, friendships and, you know, I work with that guy, I work with that guy, you know, coach, please get me picked in your team is so prevalent. It is surprising. Right. I, I, I've obviously been involved in cricket in some form for the past two years, but when I was in the dressing room and I saw in, in the draft room, I saw it was insane. The kind of phone calls you would get, the kind of gifts that were coming in. You, I would see people on my staff having lunch with the agent one day and at night they'd be saying, oh, you know, you know who's a really good player? That guy. I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. Pure coincidence that you had lunch with the agent earlier today. <laughs> so there was a lot of that going on. So if not, it, so the, the analysts were there not just to temper my own um, biases and uh, and the other owner biases, but to make sure this kind of stuff is minimized. Again, it's not it's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not implying that you know there's uh, in, anything underhanded. It's just you know a player knows a player knows a coach. He thinks he's good. You know, 
So it's naturally you, you go with something familiar, but uh, we wanted to avoid all of that, uh, which was difficult, but uh, I think we did a good job. I, I, I mean, I think so too. And um, especially the, the club's progression, given that it is um, the latest team to join the PSL. Yeah. Um, and that actually led me on to my next question. Uh, did, did you feel that there were certain advantages to uh, being uh, the latest franchise to join the PSL? Um, or given that you had a spectrum of the other teams and the way that they functioned, so that you felt like you had an advantage? And it feels like you've lent into that a little bit with uh, with talking about the data and the analytics and things like that. But I was wondering if you could expand a little bit upon um, whether you found it advantageous that... So there was definitely a distinct disadvantage in that. So with the way PSL works and most of these franchise leagues works, it's a combination of local players and then um, 30, 40% foreign players in your squad. In, in, the current, in the current scenario, all the you know, excellent local Pakistani players were already in teams. So we were left with the people who the other teams would let go of or the you know, up and coming young stars who are still a little raw we had those guys to, to pick from. So, you know, the, the actual established current players, like most of the people from the national team were already in teams and they were never going to be released. So that was definitely a big disadvantage. What we did, and I remember this is the first meeting we had, uh, it, was, it was the start of a nine hour long meeting uh, in England with all, the, all our draft staff there. And we started thinking, okay, this is the squad we have, you know, how, how one would think that, okay, we had to talk about retentions. We had to retain um, eight players. And we think, okay, who, I think we can retain this guy. Wait, 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 wait. Let's not get you know, bogged down by who we currently have. First, let's talk about what we want to build. So I, said, so I put on, uh, took out a blank piece of paper and I said, you know, analysts, you know, coaches, everyone, you guys first, let's, let's, let's decide what a winning team looks like. Complete from, forget player names. Just tell me what it looks like. So, okay, we need, uh, you know, two openers with a, with a you know, a high strike rate in the power play, right? That's what we have. Ideally, you want to have at least one left-hander in the opening, if not two. So, we put those down. So, we put those down and we go, okay, then we need, you know, five batsmen. Then we need, uh, you know, these many all-rounders. We need two people who can bowl at the death. We need two people who are good in the power play. We need uh, wicket-taking uh, spinners in the middle. A spinner who can take it away from both the left-hander and the right-hander. So, naturally, a leg spinner. Um, and so on, so on, so on. So we made a basic formula of what an ideal team looks like based on previous success in the PSL. So we, the one advantage we did have, again, every team had at the time, was the past four years of PSL data. So we said, okay, to win PSL, this is the kind of team you need. And then we said, okay, in this ideal list, who do we have who fits the bill? So you know, we had people like James Vince. We like, okay, that's a guy who has a great strike rate in the power play. He's the guy we want in our opening team. He goes in. All right. Now we need, you know, X, Y, Z. So we have these very good young fast bowlers from Pakistan who's good at the power play and at the death, he comes in over here. So off that list, we started, to, we started filling in names of people we had and that's how we decided our retentions. So for example, we needed a spinner who could spin both ways and was effective with the bat uh, uh, eight and below. Shahid Afridi. So that's why, even though obviously he was getting gone, gone, gone with age, we look at his stats. Stats were amazing. He was super economical as a leg spinner. Mm-hmm. And he still had it with the bat. You know, a, a good batsman plus. He's going to win you about two games in a, in a tournament. Even Andre Russell wins you about two games in a season. So we said, okay, Shahid Afridi, good stats, goes in. He's our number eight. 
So that's how we work, work towards building the team. And then we decided, okay, now the retentions are done. Let's talk about trades, who we can get in. Then we said, okay, ideally, if we, if we can get him in trade and know what we have before we go into the draft, that's ideal. So we tried to do some trades. Uh, most, of them, most of them didn't pay off because obviously the guys we wanted, the other guys wanted to keep. So um, then we went into the draft thinking that we need to fill these spots. So what, so what I find, and I, when I saw the draft of the 100 and uh, you know, the, the IPL auctions, all of that, it's very, I'll, I'll, take the, I'll, I'll take the 100 draft as an example. Mm-hmm. It was fairly chaotic in the first few <laughs> rounds. Because you know, yes. there, were some, there were some players who weren't picked and suddenly people were like, oh my God, you know, that, guy, that guy wasn't picked, we should pick him. And it was, you know, when, when that guy picked him, then the other guy's plan, expectation that he changed and he wanted to pick someone else. And so what we had done was we had made, we had gamed it out completely. So there were six teams and obviously all the picks are numbered. We gamed it out that in every situation, we, our plan is set. So Nathan had a very, very complicated uh, sheet going down, like a, like a decision tree. Like, okay, if we get this guy, then this is the plan. If this doesn't happen, we go here. If that doesn't happen, we go here. And so we, anyone, so you guys could have gone in and done our draft for us. It was so planned out. So for example, we said in the first two categories, we want the best overseas batsman available who can bat in the top four. Mm-hmm. So if it wasn't Jason Roy, that's fine. It's going to be, if it's not going to be Moin Ali, it's going to be Jason Roy. If it's not going to be Jason Roy, it's going to be Chris Lynn and then so on. And we had people all the way till six. So, you know, we could, we were definitely going to get one of those guys. So we got two very good batsmen in Moin Ali and Riley Rousseau, and they, you know, were phenomenal for us in the top four. Riley I have scored to say, a very, very memorable century. The hundred draft we watched, and it was chaotic is definitely a way of putting it, and it was so confusing. And you, it just showed that the analytical approach is so important to do your research before a draft, because, like you said, yeah. if one player from that category is gone, you've got the next one lined up straight away, and it's yeah. you only have a sort of limited time to be able to fill your slot. So that's yes. fantastic that your approach is so data driven. So even in so even even in the Pakistan draft, everyone have a two minute limit in the beginning. And obviously, when we would pick a guy, and then we'd be seeing everyone else pick. And right before it was our turn, the person before we pick someone, we said, oh, he picked that person, so we're going to pick this guy. So we'd be ready with our, with our paper. Whereas everyone else, they would put, give in the paper right at the last second. And then be talking and discussing, and we're looking and like, but why? You knew which number you were. You knew the categories and the players. Why are they taking so long? Because people were live thinking like, oh, I think we should pick this guy. Mm-hmm. which I found was very odd. So I know you might not be able to give too much away, but for the next draft coming up, um, do you have anyone that you have your eye on, whether it's with your bias hat or your data hat, do you have anyone that's put their, their name in the mix recently that you think, oh, they'd be great for our team? Um, so I'm not going to give too much away, you know, because I, I like to keep my cars close to my chest, but there is a young English wicketkeeper whose name sounds like Santon, <laughs> who I would be quite interested in. I don't know. I don't know who you're talking about. I'll have to think. No, don't want to give too much away. But, uh, I think it all makes sense. Uh, come, 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 December. Okay, okay I, th- I think we understand each other one a bit. Um, I mean, that's that's great. That's so fascinating. But I, I did want to uh, bring a conversation onto the hundred a little bit, as this is the hundred report, and we've got the uh, the next season coming up. Obviously, everything was hit by COVID nineteen. Come on, Southern Braves. Southern yes. Braves. Yes. <laughs> 
we had this conversation back and forth and I felt duty bound because I'm from the north that I had to pick a northern team but structurally the southern Braves had such a strong squad um, um one can only hope that they retain all of that and there's 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 more than a few familiar faces that are from Multan as well um but I guess um I had to ask what uh, what are your thoughts as far as the hundred go and also in terms of uh, Pakistan and uh, Pakistan fans uh, how is it being uh, taken uh, from a fan's perspective or from how you feel it's going especially because it's such a different format to uh, what we're familiar with so I'm a big fan of the hundred um, I'm always you know pro innovation in sport uh, people feel you know cricket is very traditional and we shouldn't change things but you know, look back just a few decades and you had, you know, um, 12 balls and over, nine balls and over, eight balls and over. So six is not something that has been, you know, going on for, you know, generations. It's uh, the most recent, most recent development. It's the most recent number. So again, six, why would you have six balls and over? What, why six? Five is so much more divisible. It's so much easier to make, to take out stats from, for young people to follow. It, it is just a better number and for new people to come in and understand the game. So I have no issue with, um, with, with, with some of the changes. And it's also, you know, not changing sides every time in Pakistan, because most of the games we play are like casual street side games. We don't change sides after every over anyway. So this is a very welcome, very welcome uh, change from you guys. And uh, yeah, so I, all the innovations are happening, even in the 100 and even in the big bash now, with the, with the power play being four overs and stuff. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, you know, I, I've also um, thought about it. I have, a, I have an idea for where cricket should go uh, in the in the future, which I'm going to share with you guys. But again, this is, this is a big secret, so you can't give it away. Right? <laughs> so the my my suggestion for cricket future. I know I'm getting off topic, but I, I think that I, I want to mention now uh, my my secret plan is that people obviously love Test cricket. Test cricket is not going anywhere. It's the pinnacle of cricket, and that's not going anywhere. T20 is, is up and coming, new format, short format. People love, people love it. The middle format now, which is the 50 over game, is you know not, not here nor there. So I suggest scrapping the 50 over game and replacing it with a double inning T20. So you're getting the double inning element of the test, the strategy of that, plus T20 who people are, who love it, who what people love and are familiar with. Nothing is more boring, guys than the middle overs of a 50 over game. <laughs> no much of it, people tune off, people go for you know, uh, food, food breaks, coffee breaks. No one cares about the middle overs of a 50 over game. I saw, the, I was there for the World Cup final, which was the most exciting one day game you know, in living memory. And the first inning was super dull. Super dull. No one wanted to watch it. It was all about the end. No one cared about the middle. In a double inning T20, you're going to watch it because it's the ending of one break and then the starting again. So power play and death twice. And that's I have to say, I, I love that oh. idea. I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you, Ali, on that. So let's get cracking with that new plan. I love that. That is my secret idea. I'm going to hopefully do it one day somehow. I don't know how. I don't know when. But quick patent it before someone else takes it. Doubling You have substitutions in there. Make it exciting. Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to ask you which team you're going to support for the 100, but you've definitely answered that one already. And I'm very, very pleased with your answer. Um, but I'd briefly like to talk about your cricket academy in South Punjab because it's an amazing story. I know that you're so connected to the community. When did it start? And are you sort of feeding Multan Sultan teams with, with cricketers that you found through your academy? 
So um, the academy started about three, four years ago, and the original goal was just to give the local people, um, local players, uh, like good facilities to come and play and practice and play. Because I, I like playing myself, so I wanted them to have a place where they can also play. So there's a cricket ground, uh, four nets, uh, different kind of pitches, so you know you can practice against different things. But then when I, I started realizing that a lot of professional cricketers don't have a proper academy or proper um, net facility to practice or to improve their game. So when I mentioned we use data a lot, there are three ways we use data. First and foremost, and most important is in the draft to pick the right players. But then we have time from December till Feb for when we can improve the players. So our team is ready in December. We know these are our death bowlers. These are our power play bowlers. This guy's going to be the opener. This guy's going to bat at the death and so on. So what we do with the local players, especially the up and coming young uh, emerging players who don't have that experience, we bring them to the academy with some of our uh, Multan Sultan coaches. So for example, Azim Mahmood, who was our fast bowling coach, he came to our academy a month before PSL with our fast bowlers. And they worked on stuff live before the tournament based on data. So we have one of our, um, one of my favorite bowlers is a player called Mohammed Elias, 21 year old, young, super fit, super nice guy, very, very skillful. So we decided he's going to be our death bowler. Normally he had bowled in the power play and he had done well, but to be a death bowler against, you know, the, in, in crunch situations, he has to have, you know, uh, variations. He has to be able to hit the yorker when he wants. He has to be hit a wide yorker, a slower one, all of that. So we worked on, we used, we saw the data, we saw his um, average, uh, he, the average, his economy for attempted yorkers is very low. So he's a lot of beamers. So we started working we put him in charge, we put him with our bowling coach and they started working on improving his workers and his slower deliveries at the depth. So we were using data to improve players between the draft and the tournament. So that was the second way we used uh, data. And the final way would be during games and before games, we would use data to make matchups that, okay, this guy is weak against left arm spin. This guy's weak against medium pace. This guy's weak against the short ball. So we would use data to make matchups during the game and even during the game, we would, we would see, okay, things aren't going our way or the pitch doesn't behave like we wanted to behave. Because we have live Hawkeye data, we know how the ball is performing. So then during the game, we were able to uh, signal to the team of, you know, new plan. And this is what it is. So we use data in these three ways and that's what made a difference, not just in uh, recruitment. So the academy became was super handy in the second part, which is what we use to de develop the players and improve them before the tournament. And I think that gave us a big edge. So one player, uh, Hoshtil Shah, just as an example, we saw that his uh, offside, uh, he, he barely hits on the offside, especially sixes. He he hits probably the biggest sixes in Pakistan right now. He actually in, in the last month scored the fastest century in the history of Pakistan in 35 balls. So he's a huge, huge wow. hitter of the ball. And he had the most sixes in the, in the entire tournament. He's the young, young guy, but you know, huge, huge hitter. Anyway, so he, he wasn't hitting on the offside. And so when um, our coaches were there in the academy, they're watching him bat. And both, I, I, was, I was standing next to them. You know, still, a, still a big privilege to sit, stand next to these, you know, such in, informed and experienced coaches and just hear them talk about players. You know, amazing. So they're like, you know, why, why, is, he, why is his, leg, why is his uh, stance so wide? Why is he such crouched down? Because you know his bat flow isn't going that way, and that's the delay. 
anyway, so they reasoned and they, uh, they reasoned that his bat is the wrong size. So they went up to him and they saw his bat. He's a short guy. He's, he's strong, but he's short. His bat was about a foot longer than an average bat. And we were like, but why, but why do you have this bat? Oh, he said, oh, because, you know, Darren Sammy gave it to me. So we, we <laughs> flipped right. over and they were like, Darren Sammy, Darren Sammy has signed it. And he goes, you know, he hit such big shots. You know, I, I thought I'm going to hit. I said, yeah, but Darren Sammy and you. <laughs> so we got him a regular size bat. Obviously, we got, him, we got him a good bat. But we got him a regular size bat. And we know, okay, listen, shorten your stance and try doing this. He tried doing it, aim off, did it again, did it again, did it again. And within that, but 10 day camp we had done for our emerging players, he was hitting it super well all over the park. And when he went into the tournament, even though this was, it was his debut, he was one of the best performers of the tournament and is now in the national team playing in New Zealand. So, you know, just these That's small things that you can find with data that can just change not only for, uh, you know, the fortunes for teams, but completely change lives for the players, which I am way more proud of than, our, than the success our team had. So, so yeah, data is great, guys. Well, yeah, it seems like data is doing, doing more than just winning games. It's sort of um, empowering a lot of community-driven cricket as well, which is, which is really quite laudable. But I did want to ask one more thing uh, before, we, uh, before we wrap up. Was, um, I know you're an advocate. Uh, I refuse to wrap up before we talk about women's cricket. Oh. I promise we talk about women's cricket, and I'm here to talk about yeah. that. So, <laughs> That's exactly anyway. what we wanted to talk about. Um, yeah, we just, I, I know you're an advocate for women's cricket, and um, I just wanted to ask uh, your thoughts on how the scene is, and even especially because it's data-driven or anything like that, just your thoughts generally on um, what's going forward, because obviously we're very excited about the women's 100 team um, and how it's being given as much status as the men's team, uh, the men's teams, which... I think is magnificent for cricket. Uh, for wonderful, women. absolutely Just wonderful. Wanted to hear your thoughts on it. So, um, in Pakistan, the the issue is that women's cricket doesn't get doesn't get the interest or you know the respect it deserves. There's some absolutely wonderful cricketers uh, coming up in Pakistan. But so, uh, my, so as, as an example, I mentioned um, there in Pakistan there are six domestic teams. It's gone through a big restructure. And there are only six teams or so six provincial teams. So the quality of cricket has gone way up because everyone's basically a test player who's playing or, or you have these really high, high potential young players. But for whatever reason, women's cricket is not under the same structure. Women's cricket is a separate four teams uh, thing that you know, play their own tournaments separately. They're not part of this. They're not part of the grassroots development. It's like a separate project. So I've been advocating to the BCB that they should mandate all six provincial teams in Pakistan to make their own women's team. Not that you have to make it, you know, let's say in a week, tell them, Hey guys, you have one year and one year later, when the season starts, you are all expected to have a women's team. The women will play this tournament and the winner will get, you know, X amount of money or funding or whatever, some benefit. You have to incentivize it. Once these people are incentivized, they will go out and make women's teams. If they're not incentivized, if they're doing it like, you know, we have to have a women's team. So let's make, you know, three teams tournament it's not going to grow you can't grow women's cricket like that you have to man you have to make it uh, you have to it has to be like a push that hey guys this is what we want our team whoever whichever women's team makes the final we give them you know 20 percent bonus in their you know funding for the entire year as an example yeah the the associations should be will go out and create teams 
So one example, I mean, I, I suggested this to the PCB a few uh, about a year ago, and they said, you know, there are not enough women who play cricket in Pakistan. And uh, I, I, I obviously laughed. Um, it was also a sad laugh. But the what I told them was, we just three months before had created a women's women women's cricket clubs in different universities in Multan. All we did was went in, hey guys, you know, Multan Sultan's here. We do we do cricket stuff. You know, if you guys make a women's team, we'll be happy to organize tournaments and give you guys equipment and coaching and so on. Within I think it was two weeks, there were 600 girls playing cricket. And this is with the cricket ball, proper cricket, nets, everything. And they're not, and they're, then they're playing tournaments, then they're playing friendly matches. Uh, they're playing, you know, they're, they're getting other uh, universities are coming on board. They're making their own cricket clubs and those girls are playing. It, all you have to do is give, the, literally the only thing we did was in near the women's uh, university, inside, so the safe space, we just built a cricket net. So turf pitch, and the net. That's all we did, and left it. Nothing else. Within a week, everyone's playing. All the people who are living in the hostel are all now playing cricket because it's there. It's a safe space, and they have it. The issue in Pakistan is there aren't many safe spaces for women to go and play cricket. That's why they don't play. It's not because of lack of interest or they're scared of the ball. None of that. You give them a safe space, uh, you know, and they and they're going to play. So. I feel there's so much potential to develop women's cricket in Pakistan. And because, and again, not that I, I just want them to play cricket. I've seen the impact women playing cricket has in a community. I spend a lot of time in, the, in, in villages in Pakistan. And, we, and so we run about 86 schools in, in the south of Punjab. All of, all of them being encouraged girls to play sport. Initially, we had a lot of, a lot of resistance, you know, because people like, no, you know, women shouldn't play and they should be at home and so on. Slowly, 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 you know, we got them doing taekwondo, we got them doing basketball, we got them doing netball and throwball and eventually cricket. And now those same, you know, dudes like grandfathers and uh, overbearing fathers who were complaining are now the biggest cheerleaders for their girls when they're playing against a team from Lahore. So, you know, that impact, you're seeing, you're seeing those, those guys change, the family, their perception of women change is just so powerful. And I feel women's cricket is just such a, because you know it's not it's not like oh they're playing a sport a sport they're playing the sport that people think only men can play it's like a dangerous sport. And when you see women doing it, it just changes your perception. I I, I know I'm oversimplifying it, but you know if you ever come to Pakistan, guys, I will take you and show you these parents how proud they are of their girls playing cricket. It is just amazing. That would be fantastic. Yeah. And I and I think that you know hopefully with the success of you know, competitions like the 100 with the women's division, and we've got the Big Bash League in Australia, they do so well with the women's division. Hopefully as these things grow, it becomes more popular, and the PCB will be paying more attention to, to you pushing forward women's cricket. So hopefully it's going to be a couple of years, because we would love to come to Pakistan and watch some of the women's games. It will be fantastic. I, but, I'm, um, hoping, I'm, hoping for, I'm hoping that it happens sooner than later. Really Ali, thank you so much for your time. We've really enjoyed talking to you. It's been fascinating to know the insights anytime, of how a team is made. Anytime you guys want to talk about women's cricket in Pakistan, I'm, I'm here for you. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, that was fascinating, wasn't it? Oh, such an insight into how a team is constructed. So for the 100, we've got a little bit more inside knowledge. Definitely, definitely. Well, speaking of uh, upcoming conversations and upcoming tournaments, we are going to be touching back in with the England-South Africa series, which is going on. Um, and England won the first T20 thanks to Johnny Bairstow's 
buccaneering efforts so do stay tuned as ever you can subscribe to us on youtube we are on instagram and twitter so if you want to find us instagram it's at the hundred report and twitter at hundred report and please send us your thoughts send us your comments we like hearing from you guys so anyway it's goodbye from me and it's bye from me speak soon Thank you.